Playing politics here with the Star Tribune editorial board today. Patricia Lopez and John Rash join us. Always a pleasure to have both of you on. I want to start with the Attorney General's race because uh, back-to-back days, first Jim Schultz and now Keith Ellison, profiles of both individuals. John, I'm going to start with you, and then, Pat, I want you to jump right in. Very well-known names in this state's history as Attorney General. Keith Ellison is a recognizable name. Mike Hatch, Skip Humphrey, Walter Mondale, Miles Lord. These are very recognizable names. (laughs) All these folks are Democrats. We have to go back decade after decade after decade until a Republican was the Attorney General. John? I know we have the Democrats' dominance in the metro area, but we've had Republican governors. We've had Republican senators. Why the Democrats dominating this race? This obviously is a close race. What do you think will separate this race with uh, the fact that we're within a month of the election itself? Well, you're quite right, Chad. I think it goes back to 1970, where Doug Head was the last elected Republican attorney general. There are always multiple factors that go into any election and in a broader trend of a half century plus of Democratic AGs. Part of it is the very names you mentioned were generally pretty well thought of by most of the public. Certainly, as you mentioned, you know, Miles Lord, Walter Mondale, and some others, you know, who were in the office for quite some time. And indeed, in some elections, the Democratic candidate for AG led the entire ticket in terms of having the most votes in the state. That happened in one of the races, I believe, that Lori Swanson ran, just as one example. But I think that this year will be much, much closer. Last time, four years ago, was very close between Doug Wardlow and Keith Ellison. And I think what will turn this race in either direction is the degree that concerns over crime dominate voters' minds and how they're able to separate what the traditional role of the attorney general in Minnesota is versus perhaps their perceptions that the attorney general should be much more aggressive on combating crime, and in particular with some of the positions that Attorney General Ellison has taken in terms of the Minneapolis referendum that voters um, just turned down last election regarding a Department of Public Safety instead of a flat-out police force in that respect, and the Kimberly Potter trial as well. Those will be issues that I think will be on voters' mind, and I expect a very, very close election coming up here in November. Pat, you on the uh, the absence, because John is 100% right, it goes back to 1970, why the Democrats mm-hmm. always win this race, and your thoughts on how this race is played out, because I'm with John, it's it, crime will be the number one part of this dialogue. Um, it will be a huge part of it, but it's, um, it's important for people to remember that the purpose of the Attorney General's office in this state and in most states is, in fact, consumer protection and civil Um, issues, they are invited in by local county attorneys. They actually cannot. They have no original jurisdiction over criminal cases. Um, They have to be either asked by the governor or by, um, you know, individual uh, county attorneys for assistance in that case. So there's there's a limit on that. Um, That said, I think, you know, it's probably worth 
thinking about whether there should be an expansion uh, of the role uh, that the attorney general's office takes in Minnesota on uh, criminal enforcement. Um, Some states have added things like organized crime, human trafficking, California, New York both come to mind. Um, In Texas, they're in charge of child enforcement uh, um, uh, capabilities. And, And so but that that's to me is a different conversation. Um, I think we need to keep in mind that this this office um, it well, let's put it this way. Um, you know, I'm not sure. Jim Schultz has proposed uh, transferring thirty prosecutors out of the civil uh, division into criminal prosecution. There are now three criminal prosecutors. Um, that would gut the consumer protection division. And is there enough demand to sustain uh, invitations from county attorneys to weigh in on high, uh, highly involved, complicated criminal cases? I don't know. That's uh, um, are we are we willing to make that kind of trade off, or to just have a separate discussion about whether it's time to um, you know expand the role of the attorney general in Minnesota? To me, those are two separate conversations. I want to pick up on uh, the editorial that you folks, your entire team, offered up today, The Lost Art of Communicating the Trib, and in particular talk about Cedric Alexander, the new public safety commissioner. Like a lot of people, I spoke uh, about Cedric Alexander and his, I thought, uh, insulting, obviously unprofessional, but insulting comments to individuals on Twitter last Thursday night who were asking him fair questions. He offered up, Somewhat of an apology Friday has not made himself available to the media since. I don't believe Jacob Fry has made himself available. We found a similar back and forth when Cedric Alexander was having a back and forth with a reporter in Rochester, New York, earlier this year, where he was equally as insulting. Uh, Pat, what did you think about how that played out? His response and what Alexander has to do moving forward, because that was obviously uh, yeah. not the impression that he wants to give, and it was, uh, to be kind, foolish. I'll be really frank. It was um, it was undisciplined and a bad start, an extremely bad start. Um, I would expect uh, someone of his caliber and his rank uh, and his salary position to exercise more discipline and a more judicious Um, approach to his interaction with what are, after all, citizens of this state and uh, of Minneapolis. Um, These are the people he presumably works for. I do think um, I would not have minded seeing Jacob Fry weigh in and maybe something along the lines of to the public, I've had a conversation with Mr. Alexander. Here is um, how things are going to go forward. Uh, I apologize on, on behalf. This is not the way we wanted to start. Let's begin again. That didn't happen. I, I think that's regrettable. You know, he he is the one who wanted a stronger uh, policy hand. He was given that by the voters. Um, I'm, I'm not seeing him exercising that yet. Short of that, Cedric Alexander should have had a more forthright um, discussion in public, taken questions. That is part of the job, Without after all. He is supposed to be the public face of um, public safety in uh, in this city. And so I um, I think it's a bad start. I can only hope it gets better from here. 
John, I think Pat nailed it, and that was one of the points I made last week. I'm sorry, when you do this and you're this insulting and using Pat's word undisciplined, just putting out a statement on Friday and then staying quiet for a few days, considering the import of your job for me is not enough. I'm sorry. You're now brought in with this incredibly difficult challenge. You're featured by the mayor. They're setting up interviews everywhere. Step up, answer questions, including do we have a pattern? Because as I said, his back and forth in Rochester is the same type of situation. John, the the reporter in Rochester said, this can't be you. I don't believe this is you. And he said, no, this is me, and continued similar down the road, which he did last week. Well, I concur with you, with including your assessment of Patricia being right on in terms of her comments. But I just take it one step further. Given the extraordinary challenges this city is facing and the very reason that he was brought in, as you, as Patricia said, the public face of public safety, what is he doing on Twitter, interacting with individuals, either responding to, tro- to trolls or being a troll himself as opposed to rolling up his sleeves, finding out and figuring out what the roots of these deep-seated problems are and trying to solve them. Nothing is going to be solved on Twitter. It's going to be solved by working with law enforcement authorities, officers, and the people of the city of Minneapolis. And then he should clearly be available to the public. But anything that he says in a news conference or any other type of public interaction certainly will be amplified on Twitter. So it's not like, you know, his comments won't, um, you know, be, be brought out there. This, you know, is the equivalent um, of a leader of any other organization or a governor or, you know, any kind of an executive. We would rightly condemn if President Biden was taking his time on Twitter and interacting, particularly in a rude manner, you know, with individual constituents as opposed to solving the problem and then trying to explain to everyone in a broader form what the United States policy was on there. Cedric Alexander should certainly act the same way. Well, and we, in this case, the question was valid, Pat. That was yeah. a valid question. Absolutely. And, and I was going to say, we have had public officials before who, you know, spout off on Twitter, not naming any names. Um, And I don't think that is the problem as much as the nature of the interaction. The question um, that launched all of this was about the empty squad cars that were being used to, um, you know, highlight uh, police visibility. A legitimate question deserved a legitimate answer. How about Cedric Alexander goes on Twitter and defends that policy and explains it and explains why he arrived at it? Then, then you have something much different. It's not, you know, it's not the nature of, um, you know, of Twitter. It's how you respond to it. And, you know, he should always have his um, public safety hat on and realize that he is representing the city on whatever medium it is, whether it's a news conference on Twitter, you know, on uh, some other uh, form of social media. Um, he is always who he is, and he has to remember what he represents. Um, if he wants to spout off as an individual and get snarky, well, you know, we don't pay those people $300,000 a year. Excellent content as always. Thank you so much to both of you. Thank you. Thanks.
Patricia Lopez and John Rash from the Star Tribune editorial board.